I thought we could, um, uh, first of all, be sure who all is here. I mean, my phone is showing me a list of people, but um, so let's just kind of quickly. Uh, now, uh, I will say before we begin that the people I'm aware of who have something to share are Debbie Armstrong, who will be first because she couldn't get in last month, and uh, Mary Highland and Abby Taylor. Um, so, and then if anybody else who hasn't thought about sharing wants to, and we have time left, then we'll, uh, we'll add another person. Um, let's just quickly do self-introductions. How about if you um, just say who you are and, oh. Or your family. <laughs> well, I was trying to Maybe think not? of something a little more writing involved. Oh. Oh, um, well. Say who oh, you we're are we're... And, and a piece of writing that you are working on now, not what you've written in the past, but something that you're working on right now. Just mention whether it's a poem or an essay or a piece of flash fiction or, you know, your memoir or a speech for the president or whatever. So, um, okay. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I I don't think I, I, I will say as a bit of digression. Like, I did I did write speeches um, oh. one year for a somebody in the technology industry, and it was a blast. It was so much yeah. fun putting words in somebody else's mouth <laughs> and then hearing them say them up there like they thought them up themselves. It was pretty cool. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, okay, so uh, I am Deborah Kendrick, and I'm here in St. Petersburg, Florida. And what I am working on this weekend is um, kind of dry. It's uh, an article for Access World recommending um, items under $100 for uh, seniors who are newer to vision loss. So um, that's what oh, I'm doing. I have okay. one. Of, I have an item myself that just arrived in the mail today. Oh yeah, what is it? <laughs> it's a Braille watch. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, Bill, since Bill you spoke Altman up, here. why don't you why don't you introduce Bill yourself Altman. next? Yes, Bill Outman, Daytona Beach, Florida, and I forgot a lot of writing that has been kind of dormant lately, but I do have one in the one and a half are speaking of technology about a, kind of a fictionalized story about the tactile graphics, which okay. is kind of an interesting cutting-edge field. And one thing that I have related to that is I have a drawing board where you can take a pen and you put a piece of paper on it. It's a rubberized board that you can take a pen and draw with it on it, and it'll mm -hmm. create a nice line drawing. Right. Yeah, that's that's probably the old Sewell board. That's that's a fantastic piece of low tech equipment. It's great. Okay, um, uh, Ann, are you there? Can you go next? I am here. Uh, this okay. is Ann Parsons, and I'm in Rochester, New York. Um, author of the Demi's, and I am currently. Well, I. 
I'm picking away at it. I've I've been so darn busy over the holidays, and mm-hmm. then I had this double rehearsal today for oratorio mm-hmm. and all. Oh this boy, stuff, you know. But uh, I'm working on a sequel for another novel that I wrote, and um, oh cool. So um, now this is the one that one about the bard, right? The one that yes. you said. Were, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so my phone still tells me there's someone here named Jennifer by phone. Jennifer by phone, do you want to introduce yourself? Hmm. Well, Is she muted? Oh, yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, are you there? <laughs> Star six. She, trying to, she might be trying to unmute herself. Star six, if you're by phone. Well, of course, if they're by okay. phone, usually you just get a number. So um, she's on a on a computer or an iPad, and well, I had the same problem I had. The good thing I wasn't um, muted because I I press tab on my PC and I can't. It doesn't. It may NVDA isn't saying anything to me, so I don't know what's <laughs> going on. It's okay. All right. Thing. Well, Jennifer, if you're here and you get unmuted. Just jump right in when you do, and we'll we'll be happy to meet you. Um, okay, so Abby, you want to go next? Yes, um, I'm Abby Taylor from Sheridan, Wyoming. I'm currently working on a novel. It's called The Red Dress. It's about how uh, three generations of women are affected by such a garment. And I finished it last summer, and I started editing it. And I'm about less than halfway through it now. So if I keep Working at the rate I've been going, I may it may be ready to send to the Dvorkins next month. I'm hoping, which would be great. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. Fabulous. Okay. Okay, Mary. Hello. This is sorry. This is Jennifer, and you said to jump right in if I got my. I did. Um, Hello. Well, <laughs> sorry about that. That's the first time I've used the phone part to call in instead of just the Zoom app. And okay. ironically, just before you said, oh, go ahead, Jennifer, I had just gotten into the Zoom app trying to get the list of who all was on the call, and uh, I couldn't get back over to get it, it unmuted. Happens. It happens. It but you figured it out. Good for you. Okay, so tell us who you are and, and what you're working on, where you are. Well, I am in Oklahoma, and I'm not working on anything right now. I moved about a year or so back and left my writing group and just fell out of the habit of writing. You know, I've gotten in the habit of writing a little something almost every day because I met with my group once a month. And when this came through on my email list, I thought, yeah, I thought yesterday and I thought I'm going to do that tomorrow and try to get myself re-inspired to start writing again. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, welcome. Welcome. I think, uh, I think a good thing that can help with that is journaling if you do that. You can talk about events that are going on or thoughts that you have about things and write those down. Yes, and when I was in my writing group, one of the things we all found very helpful, sometimes we'd set ourselves a little, you know, like you just had to write one sentence or one minute, you know, just something to, you know, you had this very short time so that you didn't doubt yourself and start going back to edit to just make yourself start getting things on paper and 
Right. Yeah. yeah. Another so, another friend who is involved in some other writers groups who's not with us this evening um, is is Becky um, Rebecca De George, and she leads journaling workshops. And um, I, I know just you know listening to her and following the prompts, doing a little bit of free writing, I've found it you know very. Uh, unfortunately, I have no self discipline, so I don't do it on a regular basis at all. But I, I just find that process to be very um, inspiring, liberating, uh, energizing. You know, if you know that the clock is ticking and you don't have to think about exactly what you're writing, just right, it can really come up, you know, really deliver some interesting results. So, okay, um, Mary. Yeah, I just started today uh, getting back into the groove and I um, I am going to, to enter my first contest sponsored by the Writer Newsletter, not the Writer Magazine, but the, the newsletter that they have. Um, they mentioned that they have a, they're, they're running a contest uh, for writing an essay about your writing. You know, is it a lifestyle? Is it, um, is it therapy? Is it art? We you know what, what is it to you and, and, and how you do it. So, uh, I'm, I'm real pleased that I got a good start on it today. Great. Yeah, okay. Um, and you didn't say, but I know you're in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's see. Debbie. Hi, it's Debbie Armstrong. Oops, okay, sorry. My microphone has a little button where it'll mute and unmute, so I wasn't sure which state I was in. Mm. So You're that in the big, right state. Yeah, the big clunk with me checking. <laughs> You're in the state. Of, I'm in the right the state. state of the state I live in is in California, and I am taking a fiction writing class at the college mm. where I work. Oh, nice. So right now, I'm just doing my homework and um, I'm really enjoying it. We did, we do every week we do a free write. We submit it's online and we also oh, do nice. a, uh, uh, some sort of focus thing like this week we focused on senses. So you had to do just a piece that was very rich with sensory, sensory detail. Next week we do a character sketch and we do, we're going to do scenes and plots and settings and play point of view. So we have lots of little assignments and I'm really going to have a good time with that. Well, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, that's fun. What that's school good. are you at? I work at Danza College in Cupertino and uh, we teach fiction writing online. And uh, there's about 20 of us taking the class. Well, Most of them are a lot younger than me, but that's okay. And we do critique each other's work and we have a teacher. Who gives us the assignments, and is, we read pieces every week too. And and is it pretty accessible? I mean, are you able to? Yeah, that's what I was doing too. Yeah, well, it's accessible because uh, this sounds sort of arrogant, but because I work there, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I worked there seventeen years, and I have been the biggest loudmouth about inaccessible. Right. So, yeah. 
We the well, well, and we hope so too, being right around the corner from Apple. Well, the LMS we use is called Canvas, and all oh, of the yeah. California community colleges have now adopted Canvas. Uh, we did a huge amount of testing, and we were one of the leaders in promoting Canvas because it really is more accessible than any of the other LMSs. And right now, any accessibility issues we have are due to the content that the instructors put in, not to the actual LMS. And a lot of my job, I've tracked down inaccessible contact content and hassle instructors. Much of my job involves hassling, politely hassling. No, you cannot post the camera phone picture of the assignment. Thank you very much. Good for you. Wow. So if um, if I ever manage to carve out time to participate in an online writing program, which is one of my fantasies, I I would love to do that. I'm I'm gonna call on you and have you be my advocate <laughs> to get everything straightened out. Well, um, just be sure you let people know ahead of time. That's the yeah, mistake my young yeah. people make. And if you let them know ahead of time, most people are are really do want to help you yeah, have yeah. an accessible well, experience. And that was true even you know back when when we were college students. You know, just in terms of getting books, if you let them know ahead of time, you had a better shot at it. So yeah. Um, okay. Is there? Did I miss anybody? Well, Bob, I know you're here because I hear your computer. So do you do you want to participate? Uh, he might have just left his computer and went to watch a ball game. Maybe you suppose. Maybe so. Oh, there's somebody. Yeah, that's right. The Rams are playing now. That's Bill. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. David. So okay. Okay. So Bob, Hi, you David. Have- Hello, from Louisiana. Hi. It's David F., right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, hi. Hi. So, David. Um, David the Scopist. Tell us. Um, well, he wanted to be a Scopist. The technology didn't quite turn out. And, um, so, tell us where you are and what you're working on. I'm in Louisiana, and I'm working. Well, I did a, a blog item. Excuse me. Hello? I'm sorry, I had Hello? to sneeze. I had to mute my mic and I had to <laughs> I will say I was working on a blog item. A friend sent me this blog. Uh it features new authors. I had abridged my original book, as some of you may have have heard, and I was sending a write up on it to this blog. And Deborah, I also emailed you the other day about one of your your article about that watch inaccessible uh-huh. world. I really yeah, like. I, thank you. That watch thank sounds you. so cool. It is cool. I'm wearing it as we speak. I saw um, it in Vegas yeah. 14, else ACB. It was there. And um, I learned because I heard from another reader who sells uh, Barry Scheuer. Some of you may know him. He oh has yeah. A company um, guide guidelines and gadgets. He and. Oh, yes. Significant other KN. Um, he is selling some Bradley like watches. You know, they're, um, uh, I don't know what the term is, but you know, they're not the Bradley brand name, but they're made the same way. And he said that he's selling them for about $50. So if you really, if you saw one, you thought they're cool and you'd really like one, you might want to get in touch with Barry. So, um, and actually, he said he's he's going to send me one so I can see because I I don't like including 
I won't write about products I haven't seen. So, um, okay. So thank you, David. And, um, is there anybody else that I've missed? Okay. Um, well, we're going to come right back to Debbie Armstrong then, who was ready to share a piece of writing last month. And unfortunately, we couldn't, any of us, get into the Zoom, the Zoom room. <laughs> but now we're here. So um, are you ready? I am. We have a dog training facility nearby called the Zoom room. <laughs> so uh, the story is going to take me about seven minutes to read I did post it to the list about six months ago I wrote it about a year ago I've done a little bit of tweaking on it um, and I'm looking for more feedback especially things people feel that need to be tweaked I'd like to submit it to a literary magazine contest or a contest sometime it's called Daddy's I got in trouble with mommy for playing with matches. I tried to tell her it wasn't me. I told her it was daddy, but she said daddy was passed out. So it was clear he wasn't watching me. That's why mommy washed my mouth out with soap. She said I was telling lies. She paddled my bottom so hard it hurt for a week. But I guess that's what mommies have to do when you play with fire. Amy down the street, her daddy, he gets real mean after he's had too many beers. I saw him throw Amy across the room once. My daddy, he don't get mean, but he gets plenty dangerous. Other kids say I'm lucky because I got such a nice daddy. He pitches the ball. He's got the best hide-and-seek places, but that's evening when my mommy's cooking supper and we skate outside. Then he's the coolest daddy on the block. It's after when I have all the dishes put away and when mommy goes off to the secretary night class and we are alone with daddy he's got a bottle it's in the closet under all the fur coats and he's got another in the garage on the shelf behind the gas water heater it's inside his tackle chest and he's always out there for what he calls just a little nip and he turns off the cartoons and he gets the boxing match on loud and he's punching at the air and he pretends he's Cashers Clay. If we ask, he'll even show us how the boxers dance around each other and fending off punches. And he likes when we all take turns playing all the parts. But I don't ask no more because he don't know his own strength, even though he's just trying to be the happy before dinner daddy. My friends always know. Usually it's okay because I just take Joey upstairs and we build towers together and maybe I color with him. And we let daddy box with George Foreman in the TV room. Um, we We like it when daddy has imaginary friends over. But last night, some big kids from the house on the dead end were going around shoving smoke bombs into mail slots. Our slot comes in right into the TV room, and I smelled the smoke, and then I heard it pop, and I heard it sizzle, and it landed on the carpet. Even though I was all the way upstairs, I heard that. And I told Joey he had to stay in his room, and I went down, and Daddy, he had this real angry look on his face, and he was pouring beer on the carpet, even though there wasn't any fire there anymore. He's weaving back and forth the way he does, and his words are all slippery, and he says, got to teach them goddamn kids a lesson. Well, I follow him into the kitchen, and he's opening up the junk door, the junk drawer, and he's pulling out boxes and matches, and then he goes into the recycling bin where we keep all the newspapers, and he takes all the newspapers back into the TV room, and he dumps them all on the floor. 
Daddy, I shrieked, wrapping my arms around his neck. You're the funnest, Daddy. Let's pretend how we're going to teach them kids a lesson. He's getting all excited now. He's waving the matches around and he's spreading out the paper. And suddenly, I'm sure, even though before I kind of hoped we were only going to play an awesome game, I'm absolutely certain that once Daddy gets in that boxing mood, you can't stop him. So I say, hey, let's do this in the garage. It's closer to the bad kids outside. We can even open the door and push the fire out into the street. I'm thinking fast because mommy said never, never, never play with matches in the garage. But her car's gone to the secretary class, so there's no gasoline in the garage. At least I don't think there is. I start scooping up all the paper. And, but when I try to take the matches, daddy hangs onto them. So I go running into the garage with all the paper. Like, I hope he'll follow me. And I pile the paper on the cement. And then I remember from scouts how you have to be sure you are out in the open. No crackling dry leaves. No branches close by. And I scoot the paper right into the middle of the garage floor where mommy parks. And daddy drops the box of matches. So he's hunting around for them in the dim light. My heart is pounding so strong, I can hear it like in those scary movies they tell by the campfire. And suddenly, I don't want no campfire, not in the house, not in the garage, not even a pretend one, not anywhere. So I tell Daddy I'm going to turn on the lights so he can find his matches. And I jump up, and I struggle hard to lift down that heavy tackle chest. And I turn the light and I push aside all the sinkers and the hooks and the lures and I show him his bottle and then a big smile glows up on my daddy's face and I give him another hug and he unscrews it and he drinks one swallow after another until it's empty and then the bottle clangs on the floor and then I tell daddy hey we got to make a plan so we won't waste any of the paper and so he explains the plan so I can't really get how it's going to work we have to stuff the paper in the bottle and put a wig in the neck and throw it down the bad kids mail slot and then afterwards, we're going to have a cocktail with some imaginary Russian friend named Molotov. I start asking questions about the plan, and then suddenly, Daddy falls over snoring. This part always scares Joey, but it's my favorite part because then Daddy stopped being dangerous. I huff and I puff until I could have blown a whole house down, and I managed finally to drag him over to the side so Mommy can get her car in. And I crumple up the paper and I shove it to the other side of the garage, and then I go upstairs and read Joey a story. The end. Oh. <laughs> now, is this character, your main character, is this supposed to be a boy? Uh, it's, it's indefinite. Like it's a seven year old, seven or eight year old. Because a boy scout would be learning how, you know, how to build fires and that kind of thing. I don't think a girl scout would, because you're going to mention scouts, it has to be a boy. We did in scouts. Yeah. Yeah. Girl scouts learn how to build fires. Well, not in my day. Well, that's good. I could always say campfire girls and then it wouldn't be indefinite. Yeah, okay. <laughs> campfire Girls, we learned how, I can say. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, when was Camp... Sorry, this is Jennifer. When was Campfire started, though? Because you set a date on this by naming Cassius Clay and George Foreman. That's true. Uh, I wondered about that, too. And then, But then you say the recycling bin, and in the Cassius Clay era, we didn't there have was recycling That's anachronistic. Thank you, guys. I didn't even notice that. 
Yeah, I didn't notice that. When well, I was waste waste basket or waste bin or yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's an easy fix. Yeah, I like very the ambiguity. Yeah, recycling didn't really start to come in until the early seventies. I like it though. It made me. It made me, I. I was stifling my laughter three or four times. It's. It's really entertaining. I liked it a lot. I thought it was kind of sad. Well, I. What I wanted to do was capture the idea that this guy is very, very drunk, but the little child doesn't. She only vaguely knows something bad's going to happen. Right. Yeah. She doesn't. She, it sort of starts dawning on her. This may not be such a good idea, but I'm I'm the only adult here, and I don't know how to cope. Yeah, I yeah, would like to yeah. make it a little more that's, sinister. That's why it's that's why it's so sad because yeah, you know, she's it's the role of reversal. You know, she's forced to become the parent, forced to grow up. Yeah, I'd like to make it a little more sinister without I, being scary. Hmm. A little place actually to tweak that kind of relates to that. Mm-hmm. But in the part where you're in the garage, you say it is dim after you describe the dad dropping the matches and looking for them. Mm-hmm. And I think if you mention the darkness in the garage sooner than that, it kind of will help set the atmosphere there. That yeah. this is, you yeah. know, not a bright, happy workshop, you know. Yeah. This, you know, this is you know, a dark, kind of dim place where little kids shouldn't be any, you know, yeah. kids shouldn't be in the garage at night anyway. Right. And then the thing that I, I wanted, you know, there was like, there's a gas water heater, but at one point the child says there, there's no gasoline in the garage because mom's car is gone. And I, I wanted that to be kind of like really sort of sinister for the adults reading it, but the child right. is oblivious, Right. Right. No, that, yeah. Yeah, that that's that's right. Right. Well, I, then you might mention that this is where we keep, you know, say this is where the lawnmower and the cleaning solution, you know. He gasoline for them. He would keep extra gasoline if he has a lawnmower, you know. You that's true. That's true. Well, because to a lot of modern readers, those things all go in a shed. They don't. Yeah. You know, your extra bicycles and sports equipment and you park the cars in the, you know, very clean, tidy garage and those go in a separate. So I just think if you think it seems like there's probably a way to work that into the description of, you know, what they what happens in the garage to kind of build that atmosphere, like you said, for the people reading it. Well, it sounds like these people may not be very well off, and so they may not have a shed. They may not have that luxury. Right. Oh, no, I'm just talking about building that atmosphere in for your modern reader. Yeah. And, you know, for someone who's, you know, a millennial may not even think of the fact that everything like that went in garages. That's true. When I was growing up, I'd that. I'm in my um, mid-50s, and when I was growing up, it was kind of like that, because my dad had all sorts of stuff around the garage, you know, all sorts of tools and things, because he would do odd jobs, you know, in addition to working mm-hmm. in a plastic factory. And one of the funny things about Malacost, you know, I kind of got where you were going a little bit there with a Malacost cocktail. And what's funny about that is when I was little, is that when people would talk about uh, 
shrimp cocktail at, at dinner. Uh-huh. I was reluctant to try it because I thought it was an alcoholic drink. I have a cocktail. So yeah. When oh. of course it's shrimp with cocktail sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Debbie, go ahead. This is, it's it's Mary Highland. Hi. And first, I want to say I loved your story. I just thought you. I love the way the, the I thought it was a little girl, and I did um, too. Yeah. I, I just thought it was your your the thought process of your little girl character and the way she rambled on and on and breathlessly went on and connected all the sentences within and this and this and this and this and I I just love that and I would respectfully disagree with the whole discussion about the gasoline. I, I think if you cram too much of that stuff in there, it, it will take away from the story. So I would leave it alone. Interesting. This what, my, my, yeah, my no, two cents. One of the things <laughs> I really wanted to explore is that uh, parents who drink too much are not necessarily abusive in the traditional way, like where they beat children. You can see that this little girl has not been beaten by her dad or scared. No, you know, no. She, he's a happy drunk. He's a happy <laughs> drunk, but a happy and drunk may not be a Where she says, now, uh, it, he doesn't know his own strength. So right. he might accidentally, you know, hear in the face or something. Yeah, but exactly. Intentionally. But she knows he's a kind person. So uh, one of the themes I wanted to explore was that child abuse isn't always what it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are functional alcoholics that will be able to function on a certain level for for quite a while, you know, and that has them totally, totally out of control. But yet they have a problem and they may be oblivious to it themselves. Yeah. I I liked, um, you know, I said it made me laugh. I liked, uh, and, and, you know, the, the 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 sadness is not lost on me, but you know I I I like how she introduces her daddy as a fun guy, an entertaining guy. Before we get into telling the whole tale of the mm-hmm. you know the matches, and then it was fun. You know, like he he dances around like a boxer, and he really gets into it. And you know, um, you you really did a good job with that, and. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't get um, too too bogged down in detail about what's in the garage. I think I think you've got enough there. I mean, it's because again, it's from the perspective of a seven year old who's not yeah going to be scientifically analyzing the garage contents. Hey. So, um, one I like thing it about I like it a lot. One thing about the dating. Of that is that not everybody may remember that Muhammad Ali was Patrick Kai. Yeah, as far as the the, the, um, anachronistic bit, what I would do is is leave in the references to Cassius Clay and George Foreman, and instead of recycling them, just say, I don't know, in the newspaper pile. The trash bin. The trash bin. The trash bin. Yeah. The trash bin. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of it. That is just so wonderful. And uh, if I yeah. send it to my fiction class, I will fix that. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see what well, else we have to you. listen to. 
Okay, so um, uh, let's have Mary's story next, I guess. Um, uh, and Mary sent it to me to read. And Mary, do you want to say anything about it before I launch? Um, this is my first attempt at fiction. So I'll be, I'll be really um, interested to hear Debbie's um, comments. And anybody else has written, and I guess Abby has written a novel. So, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't done this. I just decided to give it a whirl. So, and it is, I don't know if you've read it out loud yet, Deborah. I don't know how long it takes, but it's longer than seven minutes. Yeah. It's about two, 2,500 words. Yeah, I, I actually haven't even read the, read the whole thing. I mean, I kind of. Uh, kind of read it, so... Um, yeah, that should be a good 15 minutes at least. Really? You think? I don't know. Okay, well, we'll watch Maybe the time. Depending on how fast you read. Guess, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, here we go. And and the, the title um, you put on it was Cemetery Neglect, but then you said something about it in your note. You didn't really... I don't really like that. That's just a working title. Um, so it doesn't have a title yet. Okay. All right. So we'll call it Cemetery Neglect for five minutes. Okay. I grabbed the gate to the old family cemetery only to find out my, only to find my hand covered with crumbled rust. The lock was broken. So the gate swung open with a screech. June bugs darted around while chiggers leapt from weed to weed. Good thing. I had armed myself with bug repellent under long pants, long sleeve shirt, and tall boots. I knew from coming here as a child to visit the burial of some relative or other that it was a feeding ground for annoying pests, and if you weren't careful, your panty lines and ankles would be covered with welts from bites by the time the cemetery was over. Yeah, that's what it's uh, Okay. For that reason, for that reason, when I, I, yeah, I guess that the visit should have been in there. Okay. So, um, for that reason, when I was here last to bury my own mother, I made sure the grass had been mowed and the weeds pulled around the plots of my ancestors, both long gone and recently retired here for eternity. It was not a fancy cemetery. You would not find water fountains or obelisks here, but as most cemeteries are, it was located at the top of a hill, and to get to it, you had to follow a single-lane gravel road up and up for what seemed like forever, or maybe to heaven itself. Established generations ago next to a one-room church where (coughs) Trevor... Pendleton, a crazy cousin of Grandma's, gave hellfire and damnation sermons. It played an important role in my childhood memories. I spent summers with my grandmother along with my cousins, Maisie and Jean, and we were marched down the road from Grandma's little cabin to a one-room white clapboard church in the valley complete with a bell that rang out each Sunday morning to remind us all to hurry up and get inside. 
But once a month, we also went up to Trevor's church by the cemetery for good measure. After the service, the women would set out enormous bowls of potato salad, platters of ham, green beans fresh from the garden, and beautiful plump tomatoes, angel food cakes, cherry pies, and blackberry cobbler rewarded us for enduring another one of crazy Trevor's sermons. But sometime along the years gone by, the old church was burned to the ground. Now all that remained was the foundation where piles of garbage and rusted out car parts, washing machines and ripped up mattresses had been tossed. When I buried my mother there just a few years ago, all that garbage had been removed. The grass had been mowed and the weeds pulled. So it had been restored to its original peaceful beauty that I had not noticed in my bug-plagued childhood. After the graveside ceremony was over and most of the guests had returned to the church in town, for a delicious comfort food meal of fried chicken, mashed potatoes, jello salad, and all the old favorites, my daughter and I walked around the cemetery to read the names of people I remembered as a child, next to where my mother would soon rest in have in, uh, in peace. The grave of my grandmother, ashes of my dad and my beloved aunt, her husband, and my cousin Maisie were all marked with modest stones. It was a sunny day in early August, but we didn't notice the heat, any bugs, chiggers, or even grasshoppers. A recent mowing and maybe a spraying of bug repellent must have taken care of any uninvited pests. As we strolled under a cloudless blue sky, we noticed the song of a bird perched in a nearby elm tree and a gentle breeze. No other sounds disturbed the peacefulness of this place. Jesus himself might have walked here, inspiring someone to write that beautiful hymn in the garden. It was the kind of spot on the top of a hill in the country where this, where you might want to sit and soak up the greenness of your surroundings and the softness of the silence for a few minutes, an hour, an eternity. But today, the cemetery was all but hidden under the jungle of brambles and weeds. Not another soul was anywhere to be seen. I could hear no murmuring of prayers to loved ones who rested there, no crunching of gravel of more cars carrying mourners, no digging sounds of shovels making room for fresh flowers to be planted. Only the sounds of the bugs and the swaying of weeds in the summer breeze caught my ear. I had brought my gardening gloves and trowel to plant dianthus at the headstone of my family. I should have done this last year on Memorial Day But somehow that didn't happen. But here I was, having shed my guilt for my neglect, but appalled at the neglect of the whole cemetery. Didn't any other living person care about preserving the resting place of their parents, grandparents, 
and other members of their families, I had an eerie feeling this effort was going to end in a failing attempt. I took a few steps toward the elm tree that, thank God, was still standing near the spot where I remembered in my family's plot. The earth beneath my boots crackled as I broke twigs and rotted branches. Then I tripped over what might be a headstone. I bent and spread the weeds so I could read the name. With my gloved hand, I wiped the dirt away to see only the numbers, 2014. I knelt down on the weeds, and with my trowel, I began to, to tear at the carpet of moss that smothered the stone that bore my mother's name, Patricia Williams. Just then, I heard the sound of approaching boots, and before I could tear myself away from my discovery, the owner of those boots stopped right beside me. I wondered why I had not heard the screech of the gate. I was sure I had closed it behind me. Expecting to look up and see a welcoming face, I was dismayed to be the object of hard and irate scowl of an older woman made even uglier by her vicious countenance. What the hell do you think you're doing, she spat. This is this is private property and you're trespassing. Now get your sorry ass off my land. Stunned, I stood and looked her square in the eye. Tempted to retort with a similar tone, I refrained from saying, get the hell off my mother's grave. Instead, I said with as much control as I could muster, and who are you? This has been my family's cemetery for as long as I can remember, and for the past five years, I've been paying someone to mow this cemetery, and now look at it. It's a mess. Well, then, she said, you've been trespassing for five years. I ought to have you arrested. Losing my patience now, I repeated through gritted teeth, I said, who are you? What is your name? And how can you claim this is your property? Name's Pendleton, Martha Pendleton. I inherited this land when my old man died. It ain't been a cemetery since then. Are you related to Trevor Pendleton? Is, is that who you mean? Now I softened my tone, hoping, hoping she would do likewise. Trevor, he was my grandpa. How come you know his name? My grandmother, Evelyn Hogan, and your grandfather were cousins. She's buried somewhere near where we are standing, and that makes you and me cousins. Well, second cousins, but cousins nonetheless. I don't give a rat's ass about Evelyn, whoever, or any of your kin. This ain't no graveyard for years, and I hated that crazy grandfather of mine. Her snobbish tone on the word grandfather was not lost on me. She was mocking. Um, oh, was she mocking me? It serves him right to have his no-account church burned down and this here cemetery get overgrown with weeds. It was then that I noticed the shotgun she held at her side and the mangy dog sitting at her feet, biting frantically 
at his groin. He didn't look interested in chasing after rabbits or anything the woman would shoot down, just getting at those fleas that were driving him nuts. I squatted down among the weeds and held my hand out to him. I didn't trust the woman, although she might have been as crazy as her grandfather, but I couldn't help showing some kindness to an innocent dog. He licked my hand and came closer for a scratch behind the ear. Then he sat down and resumed his attack on his attackers, pausing to look at a spot in the near distance. He'd resumed his biting at himself and then look at that same spot over and over while I tried to make friends with him and thought about what I was going to say next. Are you some sort of, are you some sort of dog whisperer? She said with malicious sarcasm. That dog don't like nobody. Neither do I. Now get off my property. You know it's against the law to lock people out of a cemetery, let alone make it impossible for people to maintain it, I said, not really knowing that that was true. Suddenly, the dog gave a sharp warning bark, and then I heard the screech. He was looking toward the gate where I saw two men entering the cemetery. I couldn't decide whether to be relieved or scared to death. Were these her equally hateful relatives or strangers to come to my aid? The woman turned around, raising her gun. Uh, I guess it's supposed to be again. Put that thing down, Martha, one of the men shouted. Go on home and take that mangy dog with you. Like an obedient dog caught in mischief, she lowered her head along with the gun and trudged toward the gate. Seeing um, seeing the wonder and confusion on my face, the men walked toward me without the air of malice as I had feared. That's Martha Pendleton, one of them said to me in a dismissive tone. She's crazy as a tick, but she's not dangerous. She says the cemetery is her property, I began. I think she would have blown my head off if I hadn't stooped to pet her flea-bitten dog. You must be Evelyn Hogan's granddaughter, the other man said. I remember seeing you here a couple of years ago when you were burying your mother. I'm Sheriff Tom, and this is my deputy, Larry. I'm sorry the place has gone to ruin. It's a damn shame. My people are buried here, too. But old Martha, she claims she inherited this land, and she's pretty mean about the whole thing. But isn't she breaking the law, I said? Can't anything be done? Then, as if a magnet had drawn all our faces to the dog, we all saw that he did not, um, we all saw that he did not follow Martha, but nose to the ground, he made a beeline over to a spot where the weeds had recently been parted. Suspicious, the men followed the dog and saw that he was pawing at the dirt. Then he began to dig more urgently. What's he got there, Tom? Larry asked as, as he squatted beside uh, beside Larry. Need any help? I followed as well, but I kept my eye on Martha as she approached the gate. 
She turned and put her fingers to her mouth, preparing to whistle for the dog, but she abruptly stopped and stared in horror as she observed both men now kneeling in the dirt, watching the dog uncover what must have been her secret. I stood like a statue, watching what was sure to be a tragedy as she raised her gun again. But the sheriff and deputy, deputy had seen her expression and stood up abruptly, hands on holsters, and ordered her to put that thing down again. The dog kept digging, oblivious to what was happening around him. Martha, Tom yelled, you stay right there. I have some questions for you. When they had Martha secured in the back seat of their car, the sheriff strode back to me where I had been standing, afraid to move a muscle. It's all right, ma'am. I believe we know now why Martha has been trying to keep people away. She's buried something or someone over there. And thanks to her dog, we're going to find out who or what it is. Go ahead and visit your people for as long as you like, and we'll be sending someone up here soon to restore this cemetery. His tone was nonchalant and a little patronizing. But what about the dog? He's still digging. Do you think she buried somebody up here herself? I was eager to hear the whole scoop. Nah, Larry said as he swaggered back to join us. He's just digging up his old beef bone he's had for years he buries it every time old martha comes up to harass people there's a rumor that her granddaughter had a baby nobody wanted and she brought it up here to get rid of it tom's expression told me that larry had opened his mouth one more time than he should have and was struggling not to scold him in front of me did she i asked now truly engaged in the rumor nope larry said catching tom's warning look it's just uh it's just beef bones like i said and that's all people like to spread rumors especially when it comes to cemeteries but much as we'd like to lock up old martha she's just a crazy old lady i hope she doesn't bother you again the only bones that dog digs up are the ones he planted there himself i didn't believe a word he said he too was either hiding something from me or protecting me from something really ugly then why was she so alarmed that you would find something she didn't want to be found like i said ma'am rumors fly around cemeteries just like ghosts larry said as he walked away ghosts of murdered ghosts of murdered babies i asked to their retreating backs, knowing I was falling into the trap of becoming a nosy old lady myself, I considered making my way through the tall grass and reeds to where the dog had been digging, and then I got hold of my sensible self and turned back to my original task at hand. Looking over my shoulder from time to time, I knelt and pulled weeds and then planted the flowers I had come to use to decorate my mother's grave crazy old martha i muttered flea-bitten dog arrogant deputy not at all what i expected here of all places when i had finished my task i stood and surveyed my work 
then listened with intensity to the sounds of summer on the top of a hill in an old forgotten cemetery, the breeze rustling the weeds, the June bugs busy with their missions, the crickets in the thickets, and a crow declaring his territory. Martha, you old bat, I thought, that crow is the one who owns this cemetery. My thoughts returned to the dog who presumably had wandered off to gnaw on his buried treasure, but I pushed open the screeching gate and left this not-so-peaceful place with a promise that I would not wait so long to return. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow is right. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, Thank so the faith and family situation can become more complicated uh, than uh, we at first think, and it reminds me of a situation that I don't have time for all the details of here that happened to me and my family back in the 90s involving someone that my late father brought into a church we were involved with, and it ended up almost costing me some some, uh, family relationships and uh, and it contributed to the demise of that particular congregation. I don't have time to go into all of it here. It, it was involved in a it, it had to do with a person a person that turned out to have a lot of mental health problems. Um I kept thinking that Martha was gonna end up being her own ghost or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it could have been easily turned into a ghost story, I guess. But I, I don't, I don't read that sort of thing, so I thought I would be really not, not able to do that very well. It has this very languid tone, kind of not at all ominous, like you would think with a with a uh, cemetery. But I don't know, languid. Uh, if you wanted to make it less languid, I would get rid of all the heads and just use the straight past chants. But maybe you want that kind of a tone, too. Well, I think the head, I know, and, and I've heard two different perspectives on head. Um, I've heard that you shouldn't use head at all and try to find other ways to 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 deal with flashbacks. But then again, but then Leonor Dvorkin told me that it's better to use head because uh, I when I said my ideal partner, I had I didn't have any heads in there, and she put them in, and she said, "Well, it's better, it's it, you know, it's more clear." So, mm-hmm. um, and I think with flashbacks, yeah, you kind of need you need that past imperfect to indicate that it was a flashback. There's something that happened that's not connected to what's happening right now. <clears throat> I think it might be nice to have a little more location information too, though. Because certainly the general atmosphere you're picturing is going to be different at a outdoor, out in the middle of nowhere cemetery during August in, say, you know, Louisiana or Oklahoma versus someplace much further north. Yeah, it sounds to me like a small town in the Midwest. Perhaps. Yeah, that's exactly right, Bill. It was Indiana, southern yeah. Indiana. I guess I know the reference. Well, I was thinking it was somewhere south, at least somewhere south mm-hmm. of here. 
because we don't get chiggers uh, and fried chicken and <laughs> yeah, yeah there's fried chicken other and one of the things that uh, that tempts it for me is to where it is. Okay, so be a little more specific where I said it. Yeah, yeah. that's not necessarily a lot more, but just a little bit more. A little bit. Of, you mm-hmm. can even say, you know, in my hometown of such and such, you know, mm-hmm. that. Well, I don't. Okay. Or maybe say where the woman, say where she lives now, and how long of a drive it is back to her hometown. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, if you don't want to pinpoint a specific town. You know, kind of give us that information. You know, how far away is it that's too far for her to have been back? You know, what's kept her from managing this herself for five years? Mm-hmm. And it may be that the neglect was not just her neglect alone, but we have the accumulated neglect of everybody that she sort of alluded to. Right. Well, and that happens. I mean, there are old dying cemeteries. Here, my brother-in-law works for one of the bigger counties here in Oklahoma, and he often is out in what he describes as sometimes feeling like he's out in the woods with a backhoe Mm -hmm. doing burials for the county in cemeteries where the only care that takes place there is somebody coming through and, you know, almost bailing hay there. I mean, you know, the grass is mowed once a year in some of these old cemeteries. Yeah. So it certainly happens. It's sad to say. Um, yeah. Well, does, but I think that could be handled pretty easily with just a sentence about, you know, being the last, you know, she's the last person on that branch of the family or, you know, she and all of the cousins have aged or, you know, some little mm-hmm. thing like that. I kept thinking that dogs should have more significance somehow. I, I kept thinking it was going to dig up something really nasty or, yeah. I don't know. I kept thinking some, there was some reason for the dog to be there that I was missing maybe. That was, yeah, yeah. I had the same thing. I thought something was about to happen because like, the dog like, like had a significant role. Well, well I was going to have a story. Sorry? I'm sorry. I was just. I thought this was more of a jumping-off point for a longer story you were building, and so I wasn't. I mean, I agree with them. That I kept. I thought there was more with the dog, but I thought that was something you were maybe getting to later in the plot. Well, yeah, I. I, I, um, I think the sheriff and his, uh, you know, deputy. deputy would not have been so interested in the dog, would not have shown interest in the dog if their story about the bones had been true. Mm-hmm. So well, the I'm thinking the that there's something there that the dog is trying to dig up, which... Um, you You might want to add, like... Um, just tweak it a little tiny bit and have the dog dig up something, something questionable. You know, I mean, not so you know, graphic. You thought was maybe drugs. Maybe she's dealing in drugs and she's got them buried. 
you know, that, that's where she hides them. Right, because the sheriff is keeping <laughs> in on an idea. I, I was actually worried about the gun. I was actually um, going to have the dog dig up the, the um, remains of the baby. That's um, what I thought. That's where I thought. And, yeah, that's and then where I, I thought, thought you were going. And then I and then I thought, well, now this is going to be this is going to be way too too complicated for a short story. You know, maybe uh-huh. this should what be the first just, chapter. Well, then if that's the case, maybe you need to think about extending it into a novel. Yeah, a novel, uh-huh. novella, whatever. But see, that's why that's why the sheriff. That's why the the deputy started talking about. Well, there was there was a rumor that um, her granddaughter had a baby that nobody wanted. And then the sheriff gave him a look like, shut up. We don't talk about this, you know. So what if the sheriff told Martha to take her dumb dog and go and like told the dog to get and ran the dog off to stop it from digging. And then they did the whole, you know, trying to pretend to be nonchalant thing. Because that way we don't, you know, if the dog's gone, we're not then wondering, what's that dog about to dig up? Well, then you don't have a story, too. I mean, no, but we do still have the mystery of what's there and why the sheriff, you know, doesn't want any questions. Yeah, because she would not have been interested in a dog digging up beef bones. He just would not. Mm -hmm. And then there's Mm -hmm. that bit in there about, um, that they had they had secured Martha because she had thrown yeah. the gun and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Um, so apparently she has been involved. With I think it's a great story. Before. I think it needs to be expanded just a tiny bit. Um. Okay. All right. So, good. Let's let's move on because um, it's nine o'clock and Abby has a poem and Debbie has right. another piece. Okay. So. Um, well, thank you for your comments. Thanks yeah. very much. I really I enjoyed your story. I, please don't take the things I pointed out as criticisms oh, no. of your story. I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, so I, I feel like the mean taskmaster here. but um, uh, No, that's okay. You know, we, like yeah, we do. Need, no, you're doing fine, Debbie. We do need to move on. We, we kind of okay. get sending too much time. So, okay. So, Abby, have you, you've got your poem? Yes, I have my poem right here. Uh, and this is, I did send this to the list, so some of you may have already read it. It's called Positive Thinking Amid Spring Misery. <laughs> On Ooh. a cold, windy day, clouds hover, obscure sunlight. We can't sit outside today, I tell him, who, par- who partially paralyzed longs for the comfort of fresh air. After an endless wait, the rain falls, waters thirsty grass, washes streets and sidewalks clean, drums on rooftops. Its fresh scent permeates the air. Tomorrow will be better. The sun will come out of hiding. Clouds and wind will disappear. Hope will spring eternal and that's it wow it could use another stanza you could go on with the the juxtaposition between the brightness and the gloominess because i think that would i don't know bring more 
What exactly, what more could I say about that? Hmm. Well, you can talk about the, there's still winter, winter chills in the air. There's, you know, plants that have frozen again. You know, a lot of times spring yeah, is low. Early spring in the north can be very special yeah. like that. And you can talk about the days lengthening, which on the happy side. And I don't know. I, I guess I just want to see a little bit more. I want to, um, and maybe I'm I want to see the person wanting the fresh air. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I have a question about your quotation of Pope at the end. Oh, uh, you're not the only one. I said, um, but I'd like to see. Um, and this is just me. Yeah. Well. Because Hope Springs Eternal is, well, in this case, it's sort of a pun because you're writing about spring. So Hope Springs Eternal. But um, can you say it in a different way? Hope revives. Hope um, is reborn. Hope is, hope's renaissance begins. Um, Okay. You know, something. um, The renaissance of hope begins or... Or I play don't, on the pun, a spring, springing eternal hope revives, or I don't know, but where you can you can turn the pun backwards, so everybody oh, hears okay. Everybody but, hears. And how you do that might depend on what kind mm-hmm. of emotion we're wanting to set here, whether which whether we're wanting to focus on the positive just or the negativity. Well, I think what I'm trying to say here is. We've got a cloudy day, but then it's going to be better tomorrow. You know, it's, it's almost like somebody else said, it, it, he was reminded of that song from Orphan Annie, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. And, and tomorrow. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Abby, then why don't you say that? Okay. <laughs> the sun will well, come out, but maybe the I sun will come, the sun come out tomorrow. I do have the... Tomorrow will be there. The sun will come out of hiding. I do have that already in there. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I had one little comment that you said the rain falls. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you need a stronger verb. I'd yeah. like to see a, a more descriptive verb. Okay. All right. Bladders, maybe? Uh, how about cascades? Cascades is good. Okay. Dreams. <laughs> Yeah, rain true. streams down. That's true. Oh, streams that better. Buds. <laughs> I like streams better <laughs> than the I don't think we use our thesauri as uh, as often as we should. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now I did get some notes from various groups that that I. Uh, sent to, and of course, uh, some of you probably saw Adrian Spratt's comments. I'm kind of wondering about his concern. He says, uh, do we need the reference to him, the guy in the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Yeah. That's a good yeah. question. Do we need it? Yes, you do. If you And if you do need it, then maybe that's where you expand if you want to make it a little bit longer. Okay. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to draw too much attention to him and not enough to my feelings about the rain. So I'll have to think about that. Yeah. No, I like it the way it is, except maybe, for that last um, line. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's easy. Maybe something and, oh, sorry, Gabby, go ahead. 
Well, I, that, oh, I, I was just saying that it's been the consensus, because like I said, I said this to two other groups, and, and I've gotten pretty much the same response. Now, what were you saying, Debbie? Uh, um, it was Jennifer. Oh, I was just thinking sorry. maybe something. That's all right. Um, I was just thinking maybe something in reference to, because I mean, I'm assuming you're the care, that you're there in the role of the caregiver with him. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe something to the the bond or to this, you know, the wheelchair is new and making you all feel like you're tied to this place. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah. That might let it focus still on your feelings, but still expand a little bit on how dealing with the wheelchair with somebody that's new to a chair, obviously, you know, somebody that Right. You know, a lot like blindness skills, somebody that that's their lifestyle right. and they're a young, healthy person, it wouldn't. But to somebody who has a health reason that has just put them in that chair, that is kind of a feeling tied down to a spot place. And yeah. it, the rain does hold you in place more. Yeah. Okay. I was just watching last night and there are some things that relate to this wheelchair issue and also Speech. I was just watching on Netflix last night the movie The Theory of Everything, which is about Stephen Hawking. <laughs> and of course, it had deals with a lot of disability and issues in that. Okay. So yeah. one one thing I the would problem just is, so I I don't want to you know this is I'm I'm trying to make it more about the rain you know because I'm going to be sending this to a nature poetry journal and so I kind of oh, okay. want to make more make it more about Thanks. nature and that's and that's why I'm thinking I should just get rid of him well I mean you know get rid of <laughs> well he's already gone anyway get rid of the person <laughs> human oh, dear. Oh, dear. But, no I'm sorry I didn't say that right uh, but what I meant. <laughs> You know, maybe eliminate the reference. Not focused on the person so much. I'm sorry, what, Bill? You want him to focus less on the person. Less on the person and more on the rain is what I'm trying to do. That makes sense. But, you know, I suppose what I could do, and I'm thinking maybe just a little bit more about, you know, being unable to do much for himself. You know, he longs for the comfort of, you know, fresh air or something. I and I could maybe put a little bit more in about mm -hmm. him, but I don't want to put too much, you know, and take the focus away from nature, from the rain. Or my 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 my, or you know, it doesn't really matter. He's in a wheelchair. You can say my my depressed companion longs for the fresh air or something. Yeah. You know, keep it big. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nice, you know, I, I, I appreciate it, but I don't know if that would work either, you know. And something to reflect on, because I don't have the answer for you here, is you don't want to be guilty of that same kind of ableist thing where you just assume that people will understand that being in a wheelchair is being depressed or is tying somebody that's down just that's just it i mean well there were times when he was depressed but it wasn't all the time but yeah and no that right that's, again because and that, that, and that, that doesn't have to be because the person is in a wheelchair that you're having those feelings it can be any number of things that are going on in your life 
And you've got to right. And I'm saying weather. You've got to separate. Don't don't let the wheelchair be the symbolism of that heavy, depressed feeling, because you know certainly you know people use blindness as a you know the symbolism for somebody being confused or lost. And we don't want to be guilty of that for somebody else's disability. Yeah. Right. I think I, I think it would be really, really interesting to see what you do with it, Abby, if you you know okay. work on it a little bit more. Because I, I think I get what you're saying. You want it to be a nature poem, but I also think maybe we can, you can, you can stress. Or, or, or make real the appreciation for the rain and the air more if the person is is more present too. So I I, yeah, I think okay. maybe your hesitation to say more about him is maybe a little. Maybe you could write it both ways and see which way yeah connects yeah. with you more. Yeah. Anyway, so um, and and I I'm embarrassed to say this again, but I'm not on the list. So if you don't mind copying me, if you send a new version. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I thought you were. I thought you sent something. I'll try to do that in the future. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I yeah. Thought, well, I thought you were on it. I thought you. Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah. I well, I thought about rejoining it, and I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm getting okay. so much. The problem is my email. I get so much junk that. I just had to get away from lists because I, I oh. couldn't, you know, I, I can't. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I great. Um, so let's see, we have, yeah, we have enough time left, I think. Well, technically we're supposed to be an hour, but we seem to go a little longer than an hour every time. So it's okay with me if it's okay with okay. everybody else that Debbie reads right. other we, <laughs> we had some back also because of the problem with last month's call, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so Debbie, you've got your... Yeah, other... so this will take about three minutes to read and another minute for me okay. to give you the background. This is my assignment for my class this week. We had to do a character sketch, which I'm not going to read you, because the second part of the character sketch was to assume that our reader had not known anything about the character and to put our character in a scene that the character would find very, very challenging. And this is a story fragment. We are supposed to write five or six story fragments and pick one to complete. So this is not complete on purpose because the idea is I'm going to do a bunch of them and then pick one to turn into a short story. Okay, here we go. Oh, and the character is a 10-year-old boy. It's okay for you to know that. Okay. It had looked like his dentist office, same brown building, same rickety ramp around the side by the dumpsters, even the same 7-Eleven on the corner. Only thanks to clueless Aunt Lucy, who'd picked him up at school today, it was her kid's dentist, not his. Mommy would come to get him after his appointment, only he would be at the wrong dentist. And he wondered, how was he going to let her know? Aunt Lucy was all about the engine that could, so she didn't wait to push him up the ramp like Mommy or Daddy did. So here he was on the sidewalk with a paper cup of lemonade his aunt had bought him, and he decided he'd drink it first while he figured out what to do. As he finished the last slurp, a passing stranger dropped a quarter in his cup. Wait, Joel Squeak, can you tell me what address this is? But she was gone, her good deed for the day completed. (laughs) 
he supposed you'd have to go inside and tell them, ask them to call Dr. Fawn and explain that he was here, not there. Joel studied the parking lot. Lots of fancy Porsches and Priuses here at Lucy's kind of people. He pushed himself he pushed himself slowly around to the other side. The asphalt on the ramp was cracked, like a highway full of potholes. He wanted to get out of his chair and crawl up the ramp. But then someone might steal his chair. So he started shoving and bumping his way up it. Halfway up, he locked his brakes to give himself a break. There was a big, heavy brown door at the top. No buttons to push to, and sorry, no buttons to push to automatically open it either. The sign said, "Exit, please use entrance." There were McDonald's styrofoam boxes scattered on the ground below the ramp's railing, and he tossed the cup, quarter included, in with the refuse. Who's ever making all that noise? Would you yeah, stop? Could you stop. If you're doing the dishes, put no, mute sorry, yourself. Mute. It's me. I was getting some water. Okay. I'm almost done. Sorry. I don't have any way to mute. Oh, just mute yourself, well, and then yeah. I'm I'm done. I'm finished. Okay. Uh, sorry. sorry. I think I'm going to reread this paragraph because I was all stumbly through it. Halfway. Uh, he locked his brakes to give a break to himself. There was a big, heavy brown door at the top, no button to push to automatically open it either. The sign said, exit, please use entrance. There were McDonald's styrofoam boxes scattered on the ground below the ramp's railing, so he tossed the cup, quarter included, in with the refuse. A woman in a long, swishy dress with an enormous fur hat hurried up the steps ahead of him toward the other door marked entrance. Joel caught her flinching when she saw his arm spasm. The shame made him jerk even more, and forcing his legs to stop jittering, he undid the brake and pushed himself the rest of the way up. As he reached the top of the ramp, a man with an ice pack pressed against his jaw burst through the brown door and almost knocked Joel over. Excuse me, the man said through layers of gauze, and it occurred to Joel that an unimpaired human at the dentist could sound an awful lot like a, an awful lot like a human with CP. The man held the door and even gave Joel a little push when he got stuck on the threshold. A long corridor stretched ahead, flanked by posters advertising dental implants, clear smiles, and why it's wise to have those wisdom teeth removed. As he turned a corner, another bright lady rushed forward, greeting him, unwrapping a peppermint and shoving it at his face. Uh, no thanks, Joel said automatically. I don't like peppermints. You must want the children's dentist, she chirped, grabbing the handle of his chair and propelling him in the other direction. We'll help you get there now, shall we? So that's my story fragment. <laughs> oh, interesting. But through the eyes of a little child. Yeah, I hope you're going to finish it. Is that it. why he's 10? Yeah, that's why he's 10. Um, and that's why he might a little frustrated because his mommy didn't didn't drive him that day. And I like how you don't say right away that he's in a wheelchair. You talk about the ramp, and I thought, oh, is he in a wheelchair? And, but it's a few paragraphs later before you actually mention the chair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, that's very clear. That's very clear. Um, I, I hope you plan he wouldn't to be going up the it. ramp if he were if he were ambulatory. You know, he he wouldn't yeah. be going up the ramp. Necessarily. Well, he notices the ramp right away, do too. He says, "Same rickety ramp." Right. That that, that might right. not necessarily clue in the able-bodied people. 
You might want to bump his age up just a couple of years. I think the 10 is very realistic, but as a parent of a 14 and a 12 year old who people question me all the time, you leave them home alone? Like, you know, kids that age can't stay home alone, which I find that, you know, because it's also as a blind parent, there are those people who assume at that age, they're my caretakers. Mm -hmm. So that's a different frustration of parenting. Mm-hmm. But I think in this modern helicopter parenting mm-hmm. age, um, you might have the aunt, you might just kind of slide in something there about, you know, the receptionist is expecting you and is going to watch out, is watching oh, for you to true. come in. That's true. Just something to imply that there's supposed to be somebody meeting him on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you know, just a couple of months ago in Canada, a child on crutches due to an accident that was 12 got left at his school because his cab didn't get over there to pick him up. And it made national news and Mm -hmm. made the city news that night. I mean, we have become this huge helicopter world. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Maybe, Maybe how you could handle it is because the problem with increasing his age is that then he won't have these kinds of perceptions to the what's happening around him? Yeah, a twelve-year-old. become more cynical. Exactly. I don't want him to so, be cynical. But maybe what you could do is just add a little tiny something at the beginning that when Aunt Lucy drops him off, that she says to him, you know talk to the receptionist as soon as you get in the door. I mean, cause she's just leaving him at the bottom of the ramp. It's not like she's leaving him a block away. Right. Yeah. So, I wrote, and Lucy was right. on the engine that could, so she didn't wait to push him up the ramp. But at that yeah. point I could, I could say something like she reminded him to check in with the receptionist who it is expecting. He was expecting him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would cover it. Cause it is true with his being only 10. Right it would be a, a pretty irresponsible yeah. adult. My earphones. I mean, there are a lot of people that wouldn't drop off an able-bodied 10 year old and drive off like that. Yeah. No. Right. So I think that'll kind of cover those helicopter parents that are going to jump in and focus on that aspect of it instead of the real point of your story. Mm-hmm. Well, aunt Lucy, I like, do like maybe got a screw loose. If she's got confused. It's with Dennis. <laughs> I figure Aunt Lucy's just running from one Sorry, job. Sorry, guys, to I've got to go. These earphones are dying. Oh, okay. Take care, Anne. Right. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Bye, Abby. Thank Bye. you. Bye, Anne. Thank well, you. You, might, you know, I when think... you expand the story, maybe you could include something about the other, you know, carpool kids that are in the car in this, you know, gazillion other places. His hmm. aunt has to get them. You know, to kind of clarify that she's. Yeah, but she's got a lot going on. She's acting like the after-school chauffeur today. It's her yeah. turn. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Well, anyway, I've, I've been doing a lot of writing where I want to make a statement about disability, and I found that using children, you can say a lot of things about it that you can't, that, that come off like a morality tale if you use an adult. I um, was asked by a friend to um, write a review of two books that are middle school books told from the point of view of of blind kids. And 
I, I read them and I haven't written the reviews yet, but I loved them both. And um, I, it, I discovered that I had downloaded, I had met Sharon Draper, who's a Cincinnati um, award winning writer of middle school books. And I had met her at a conference several years ago and I had downloaded one of her books and never read it. So I read it too, because it was the same age anyway. And it's called out of my mind, but it really um, brings home the point that you're making Debbie, that you can communicate. It's told from the point of view of an 11 year old girl who can't walk or talk. um, But she managed, she, it, it, does say so much about disability because it's from a, a kid's point of view and it just it, it, it's I think it's a it's a cool way to to um to get disability info out into the air it's, it's good yeah I, I like the I really I like, like learning about other coffee. disabilities, not about blindness so much. It's a, right. But I was an attendant in college for people with a lot of disabilities, so I'm very comfortable. Like I was an, a paid attendant for a guy with CP every night for many right. years. So yeah. I do feel comfortable. No, I feel like I know people with other disabilities. Yeah, 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 me too. I had a, a roommate in graduate school who was quadriplegic, and she's remained one of my lifelong best friends. And, you know, I, I can be with her and she'll, you know, she'll say, you put my head up. I was like, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't have any other friends who ask me to put their heads up. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's, it's good. I hope you're going to finish it. I want to hear more about this kid. Yeah. <laughs> this kid. Thank you. So, um, okay. Well, uh, Yeah. I think um, uh, we probably can should wrap it up, but I'm wondering um, if anybody has any, you know, particular requests about what we do next. Do you want to just do this next? You know, I've I've talked about a couple of speakers. I haven't lined anybody up yet or anything, but um, I just want to kind of take the pulse of where we are and see if you all want to do anything in particular differently? Well, I did notice that on the description of what this was about, sorry, this is Jennifer again, that it mentioned that there would also be a discussion about the tools that blind writers use. So maybe you could plan a session or two where that was the main focus, yes. with or without a yes. guest speaker to focus on it. Let's. That's very good. Thank you, Jennifer, for reminding me. Yeah. The truth is, I did that. I. It was kind of that was my fallback in case nobody had anything to read. So, and I'd forgotten about it. But yeah, why don't we um, plan? I I will make that an upfront part of the next meeting because I think that could be a really interesting discussion. Um, You know, I for one, I'm always looking for different ways of of doing things and different apps and um you know just the whole the whole writing process i mean it's it's different for everybody but i think for for blind folks it kind of can get a bit more complicated there are more ways to think i mean for, for example when i was young i thought i could only write beautifully 
if I used a slate and stylus. I, I mean, I, 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 I had an obsession about it, but I couldn't, I couldn't be really intimate with my words and my paper if I didn't have a slate and stylus. I couldn't do it with a typewriter. I couldn't do it with a Perkins brailler. I had to write, do the real creative writing with a slate and stylus. And I, I'm over that, by the way. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> I recently heard a retired tech guy, I mean, to give you an idea of how long he's been part of the tech industry, talking about that he still has an old-fashioned keyboard at his office because, yes, and he named off, you know, like a gazillion, you know, an iPad and blah, blah, blah that he had that he loved to use to write with it when he traveled, but that he really felt like he thought his clearest thoughts when he sat down and put his fingers on that keyboard. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have that same feeling about those, and I think it's because, you know, that is what I wrote on in college, and, you know, that is kind of my... It's like the position of my hands for my brain to kick in. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like going to the same place every day. It's the same idea. Right, yeah. I, yeah. I'm willing to um, research the different thesaurus websites and, and do a report on what is more accessible and what seems to work the best through a screen reader. Oh, that would be good. It's really neat if someone could do it for apps. Oh, I don't have a, I don't um, I, uh I device. Well, I don't know. I can do it for apps another time. Well, I can. Right, I can and I don't know that we necessarily need apps specifically for the I device. I mean, because certainly there, you know, I, you know, I'm calling you on my iPhone, but I have a laptop with Windows on it downstairs that I like to use to write on too. And I think maybe just knowing what some of our options are. And what some of the things will do, like until I heard people talking about what the Scrivener app will do, it never occurred to me how much easier my life could be with this special writing app versus just, you know, giving every little section its own document in a folder in Windows. Maybe you know, being how able we to can call approach that is everybody, everybody come, and I'll, I'll put an announcement out reminding, but for everybody to come with thinking of at least one app that you personally have used or that you've heard of rather than putting it all on one person. Um, if we just bring ideas of apps that we have used or that we're well aware of that are, that are useful. Or if you're not an app um, person, one tool. Yeah. Yeah. Now are, you talk, are we talking strictly about a thesaurus or are we talking about anything? No, no. No, Debbie was talking about thesaurus. She said that she would do that okay. in particular. Okay. Um, but Could we maybe post some things to the list if it's something, like, I don't think Scrivener is accessible, but I could do a quick search on some things like that and maybe I'll put them on the list to see if anybody else is using them. And maybe then that person could tell us more about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just uh, for for my part, I'm I'm not on the list, so. And I'm uh, so the, behind on the list, I may not read it until after the meeting. Yeah, so maybe if we could kind of, and you know, let's not bite off more than we can chew. I think Debbie, if you do a thing on thesaurus and we all kind of loosely talk about apps, that's going to fill up a lot of time mm -hmm. right there. And right, you know, and that if, might if we, give us a good place to start with a list right there if we start out that yeah. way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Okay, it is um, 9.30, and um, 
I need to go. <laughs> well, um, Debbie, it I, was, I, it was a good meeting. Thank I, you so much. You, well, thank you all for coming. And um, I think, you know, Bob uh, leaves this open for a while. So if you want to stay in chat, please do. I just personally need to leave. So, I don't blame um, you. I do too. I haven't had dinner yet. I wasn't hungry. Yeah. Well, I've got dinner I too. Waiting for so me. I got to get out of here. So, <laughs> otherwise, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> okay. Oh, don't do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. we heard That'll some great writing. Thank you. Thank you, writers, Thank you. for sharing. Thank you. Good night. Okay. Bye. Good night. Bye. For those that are still here, I a, who was it that said she was writing the nonfiction novel on the three generations in the red dress? I think that was Abby. Okay, that's what I thought. And do you happen to know if she's on the list? Because I have a poem. It's Abby Taylor. Yeah, she's on the list all the time. Okay, great, because I have a poem about red dresses that is just fabulous that I think she would enjoy reading. Oh, yeah. Just just look you know, her up to Abby go with Taylor. the novels she's writing. And she has a blog too, so you can contact her that way as well. She has a what? A blog. Oh, that would be great. You know, I noticed that several people mentioned. I'm not from, I haven't come across that one. I will. I like that corner of the world. That's cute. Yeah, she posts, um, she posts to the list many posts from her blog. So just look for Abby Taylor and Abby's Corner of the World and you won't have any trouble tracking her down. I'll do that because I really think she would enjoy reading what women want in connection with the subject of her novel. I bet she will. So anyway, thank you. And I know you said you needed to go too. So yeah, I appreciate you staying on and answering that for me. All right. Enjoy your care. dinner. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. It was iPhone that left the meeting. Never iPhone 7 that left the meeting. Never Armstrong that left the meeting. Jennifer's iPhone that joined the meeting. Jennifer's iPhone that left the meeting.
Alt F4, end meeting button. Panel control button drop. Alt F4, end meeting the leave meeting, leave meeting button. Cancel button. The key is meeting. I'd like to give the end meeting for all.